Like I said earlier, we're going to be in Jeremiah 15. We're continuing on our series this summer uh, through the book of Jeremiah. And as we saw last week, and as we're also going to see this week, Jeremiah is a little stressed, uh, to say the least. He's uh, stressed. Last week we looked at a scripture where he goes to his own hometown and to, to preach the truth about who God is. And many of the people in his own hometown are seeking to kill him. So God reminded him, like all of us would want to be reminded if people are trying to kill you, that it would, was going to get a lot worse before it got any better. So Jeremiah was often called the weeping prophet. Uh, I think today uh, we're going to call him the whining prophet because we're going to see Jeremiah have a little bit of a pity party. He was very transparent about his feelings. He was very transparent about how he felt, what God was doing in his life. When I thought about an example of what that might look like, I thought about a soliloquy. And what a soliloquy is, is an act of speaking one's thoughts aloud when one is by oneself, or regardless of any hearers, especially by a character in a play. So what would happen is in a play, let's take, for example, Hamlet by William Shakespeare. And in the third act of the play, Hamlet's having a very difficult time. And Hamlet is thinking that life is not worth it. And so what would happen is if there's a whole host of people on the stage, all of the people in one way or another would exit the stage and you would have one character left just to pour out their heart to the audience. No one else is around and they're just pouring out their heart to the audience. It's kind of like what Hamlet does. Thinking about taking his own life, considering it, and he utters these very famous words. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind of the sufferer to suffer, the slings and the arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against the sea of troubles, and by opposing in them, to die to sleep. You're like, oh, quit being dramatic, right? But that's kind of what Jeremiah is going to, to have. He's going to be... At a very dark time in his life, a very depressing time in his life, and he's going to call his very existence into question. Now, before we move on, uh, now that I'm trash talking Jeremiah so much, I want us to understand Jeremiah was living a life of obedience. He was doing exactly what God had called him to do, he was doing a very difficult job that God had asked him to. Go to a nation that does not love me. Go to a nation that is in complete and total disobedience to me. And I want you to deliver a message. And even though there's these other quote-unquote prophets who have popped up, they're not speaking in my name. I have not sent them. I have sent you. And even though the people are believing them and not you, I want you to go and to speak nonetheless. So some of us might look at Jeremiah's response and how he's going to react today. And we may say, man, Jeremiah's kind of justified in his response. I I probably would react the exact same way. We almost feel sympathy for Jeremiah and how he's going to respond. He was sent to preach a message that was ultimately bad news for the people. He was sent to, if we remember in chapter 1, he says, I want you to tell them he, he, he is called to uproot and tear down 
to destroy and to demolish, to build up and to plant. Now, four out of six of those things are negative. And no one wants to hear bad news. No one wants to hear, be the bearer of bad news. But Jeremiah is sent to, to preach that message. God is going to hear Jeremiah's complaint. And then God is going to offer a response to Jeremiah's complaint. And that leads us to the big idea this morning. Discontentment towards God can lead to complaining. Which in return leads to disillusionment, leads to bitterness and self-pity, which in return should lead to our repentance. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jeremiah. Uh, We pray that as we read this text today, you would help us to make sense in our own lives and how you would have it to apply to us today in 2021. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Landon always uh, makes fun of me when I have the opportunity to speak that I always mention Star Wars. And so you guys are going to be blessed that I'm going to mention Star Wars again. So uh, there is, in the Star Wars trilogy, you will find a, a very small but powerful character by the name of Yoda. And Yoda is one of the teachers of a lot of the younglings or the young Jedi, ones that are training to be a Jedi. And Yoda is going to, at one time, mentor a young Jedi by the name of Anakin Skywalker. Spoiler alert, if you've not watched the movies, Anakin is going to end up becoming Darth Vader. You know, the greatest villain that's ever lived in all of uh, cinema history, all that good stuff. Sorry if I ruined that for you, but he does become Darth Vader. But Yoda is going to tell Anakin that the path to the dark side starts with fear. He says this. He says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger is going to lead to hate. And hate's going to lead to suffering. And as Yoda is trying to explain this to the young Jedi, because he knows he is struggling with fear. And he knows that fear is going to turn into anger. He's kind of just warning him. If you start heading down this path, you're headed down a path that's going to lead to suffering, that leads to the dark side. And so here in the book of Jeremiah, we're going to see Jeremiah go down a path that's going to ultimately lead to sin. Now, it's not fear and anger and suffering and all that stuff, but it is going to be a little bit of a different formula. First, he's going to lose his focus on God, which in return is going to lead to him becoming bitter, which in return is going to allow him to have a big, big pity party for himself. And so... Let's take a look at how Jeremiah is going to go down this path. First of all, Jeremiah's complaints lead to a lack of focus. They lead to a lack of focus. Verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I haven't lent, I haven't borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Jeremiah is going to complain to God that everyone hates me. Everyone's out to get me. Everyone curses me. I haven't even borrowed any money from anyone. I haven't lent anyone any money, and yet they curse me. I don't understand. And then he goes so far as to to wish that he had never been born. Woe is me that I was ever born. It's an interesting fact that he's going through this because in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5... 
he says that the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah. And God tells him, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were ever born. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. So God had a very specific job for Jeremiah. And yet Jeremiah is sitting here in a very difficult time saying, man, I wish that I had never been born. Jeremiah isn't just saying, I wish this wouldn't be so difficult. Jeremiah isn't just saying that I wish this wasn't so hard. He's not just saying that I don't want to do it. In essence, what Jeremiah is looking at God and saying is, maybe, just maybe, you didn't know what you were doing when you called me. And I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. Jeremiah sees the situation. Jeremiah sees the things that are going on around him. He realizes, I haven't done anything to anyone to deserve this, and yet he suffers. This is your, I have a seven and a nine-year-old. This is your typical child throwing themselves down on the floor and saying, this isn't fair. Actually, I think I've seen some of you adults do the exact same thing. The job that God had called Jeremiah to do wasn't an easy one. In fact, it was a very difficult job, and he knew that going at, at the beginning, one of my old youth pastors used to tell me, if God is bringing you to it, God will bring you through it. And, you know, for someone who's not going through anything, you're like, yeah, amen, that's, that's good wisdom. For someone who's going through a difficult time, that's kind of hard to swallow. Yeah, I know God, if he's bringing me to it, he can bring me through it. Here's the problem. God bringing us through it sometimes doesn't look like what we think it should look like. Going through a difficult time may be more than you ever want to go through. But God can get you through it. I want you to recall with me Matthew chapter 14. Peter sees Jesus out on the water walking towards them. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out to the water. Call me out towards you. He says, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking on water. And what Peter does next is he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts looking at the circumstances around him. And these waves are pretty big. He's like, and he begins to sink. Takes his eyes off God. Takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at his circumstances. And he loses focus. That's exactly what Jeremiah is doing here. Jeremiah has taken his eyes off of God. He's taken his eyes off of who God is. And he begins to lose focus on the circumstances around him. And he begins to look at his circumstances and the bad things that are going on in his life. And he doesn't like it. And so it's allow, allowed him to go down this road of not trusting God and who he is. So leads him to a lack of focus, was, which number two, Jeremiah's complaints lead to bitterness. Look at verse 15. Oh Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me. Take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Jeremiah is going to show the source of the problem. And he's going to point straight to God. God, I think this is your fault. All this disgrace, all these difficulties that I'm facing, this is your fault. And his bitterness has led him, led him to believe that I don't deserve this. 
I haven't wronged anyone. I haven't done anything to deserve this. Why is this happening to me? As I also began to think about this, I thought, we do this. We do this. Well, I don't want to point the finger to you. I do this. We have these little pity parties. Maybe you're living a life of obedience that is fairly new. You think about it. You're here on a Sunday morning. You're you're pretty good, right? You're here on a Sunday morning worshiping. But you think about, okay, I've spent time in your word this week. Maybe every single day. I've spent time praying every day. Um, Maybe God has convicted you of a sin that you've stopped doing. And you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good. Maybe you're even tithing. Maybe you're even giving to missions. You're like, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm doing really good. All this time with God. God's letting me be used for his kingdom purpose. This is awesome. Coming to church. I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what's good. We need to remember, Jeremiah was being faithful. Jeremiah was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. He was living a life of obedience. Now, it wasn't perfect obedience, but he was obeying God and what he asked him to do. Verse 16, he loved God's word. Verse 16 again, he realizes that he was called by God. Verse 17, he is not associated with those who hate God. Don't miss the comparisons here between this and Psalm chapter 1. When he talks about... uh, The man in Psalm chapter 1 who doesn't spend time with all of these quote-unquote sinners and do all of these things that you're not supposed to do, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. There's a comparison here, and Jeremiah wants us to key in on that fact. It didn't seem fair that someone who was living a life of obedience, that someone who was doing exactly what God had called him to do, would be suffering. Jeremiah is pulling the old Charlie Brown. Why is everyone always picking on me? And Jeremiah, in his disillusionment, will look at God and say, I think it's your fault. I think it's your fault. Stephen Smith says it this way. Typically, a blessing is indeed attached to obedience. However, a blessing is not a right. A blessing is not a mandate. A blessing is just that, a blessing. It is given at the dictate and the will of the divine blesser. God is going to bless who he wants to bless. God is going to curse who he wants to curse. And this assumption, especially this assumption for us who call ourselves Christ followers, that God owes us something for our obedience. It will lead us down a road of bitterness when hard times come. If we really do believe that. And that's what, a Jer- that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's assuming that God should bless him because of his obedience. So that bitterness is ultimately going to lead to number three. His complaints lead to self-pity. Jeremiah starts asking himself, why will this situation never go away? This is like a wound that will not heal. And even the thought of relief... Even the thought of something, one of these bad things ending is unimaginable. He's having a huge pity party. He then is going to use a metaphor to explain, to, to explain God. He says, will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fell? 
ultimately, he's looking at God and saying, you're like a mirage, God. It's like I'm walking through the, through the desert. I'm thirsty. I'm longing for a drink of water. I see something out in the distance. It looks like water. I run to it only to find nothing. There's no relief. There's no quenching of my thirst. And that's what he's saying. You're like a mirage. You're not quenching my thirst. You're not satisfying me. And so Jeremiah's mind starts playing tricks on his body. And this is what happens when we have a pity party. This is what happens when we're focused so much on our situation and our circumstances and we take our eyes off of God. We begin to ultimately, just like Peter, we begin to sink. It's all God's fault. You know, a few, uh, last week, actually, uh, my son uh, was swimming. We were having some fun in the sun. And he actually realized that he could sort of kind of do a backflip. He hasn't gotten all the way around to his feet yet, but he's getting close. Uh, But he starts doing these backflips. And uh, last Saturday, he had his Sunday school class come over um, for an end of school uh, celebration Uh, And we were going to swim and we had a cookout and all that good stuff. One of the things that, uh, and before you think I'm a bad dad, I did ask my son if I could share this. And he said it was okay. So I'm not trying to embarrass him, but this is a good story. We tell him after a few close calls with the side of the pool, we tell him, okay, you better be careful you're going to hit your head. Because you're not getting far enough out there, starting to get comfortable So his buddies come over. All of his friends come over from his Sunday school class. And what does he start doing? He starts doing flips. And sure enough, one very close call, he kind of nicks the top of his head. Just just a little one. He's not crying. It didn't cause him a whole lot of distress. But his mom calls him over and says, all right, listen, no more backflips. Just stop. You're going to hit your head. You're going to cry in front of all your friends. It's going to be embarrassing. You need to stop. What does he say? Okay. What does he do? He goes right back to the edge of the pool. Doesn't skip a beat. And he tries to do another backflip. This time he hits the middle of his back right on the side of the pool. Bam. Pops his head. Has about a knot about the size of a softball on the back of his head. And he is indeed in pain. He's crying. And... For the next several days, um, he complains about his back hurting and his head hurting. And, he com- and let me just say this. I was about as sympathetic as, as, sympathetic as any dad would be, right? Yeah. Whose fault was this? <laughs> Whose fault was it that you scraped your back? Whose fault was, what was it that you hit your head? Um, Jeremiah is doing this with God. He's having this pity party. He's focused on himself. But we need to understand that Jeremiah's pity party is completely self-induced. It's all because he's allowed himself to go down this pathway to sin. And he has allowed himself to go down this road, this pathway of sin. Huey says it this way. By accusing God of deceiving him, by accusing God of failing him when he needed him, Jeremiah had overstepped the bounds of what a servant of God can say. Jeremiah had gone too far. Jeremiah had sinned. And 
We need to look at this situation and see how God is going to not only respond to Jeremiah, but we need to understand how God is going to respond to us when we're caught in that same situation. Because in this life, God never promised us that life would be easy. He never promised us that if we live in the United States of America and that if we obey Him, everything's going to be just fine. Everything's going to be full of blessing. Let's look at verse 19 where God is going to rebuke Jeremiah. Verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you, to deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. It's very simple. In this rebuke, God is going to restore Jeremiah. Um, But it comes with some conditions, these two if statements. So look at the condition. Number one, if you return, I will restore you. God expects some things here from Jeremiah. Jeremiah needs to turn and to seek God the way that he was doing before he fell into this pity party. He needs to return to this calling that God had placed on his life. This return, this coming back to the Lord. This is what we use in terminology today as the word repent. If you find yourself in the middle of a pity party, if you find yourself in the middle of sin, this is what God calls you to do. To turn away from that sin, to repent from it, and to come back to Him. And when you come back to God in repentance, guess what? That ultimately leads to our obedience to God. If you turn back to me, I will restore you. If you return, I will restore you. So that also leads us to, if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. You know, in essence, God is telling him, you just need to stop and you need to start doing what I ask you to do to begin with. You know, if you have kids in any way, you've said this to your children, just stop. That's what God's telling him. Stop doing what you're doing. Return back to me and do what I've asked you to do. God wants Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece. And when the world was filled with prophets who were speaking a false message, the world was filled with prophets who were not sent by God, Jeremiah in this moment is actually called to stand alone. And what a difficult thing that must have been. I'm going to use you, but you're going to have to stand alone in this situation. So it came with a condition, but it also came with a promise. Let's look at the promise. God promises to deliver Jeremiah. Once Jeremiah had decided that he was going to do things God's way and not his own way, God was going to make some very special promises. Like in verse 20, I'm going to make you impenetrable. I'm going to make you to where, yes, you're going to face difficulties. Yes, you're going to have people that don't like you. They're not going to like the message that you're sharing. But it would rather be found like in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when Paul's speaking to the church and he says, Listen, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. It's kind of the same thing. You're going to face difficulties. But guess what? God's telling him, I have your back. All will be fine. All's going to be okay. 
And even though he would be attacked, he would not be broken. Even though he would be under some of the most powerful rulers of the time, he won't be under their control. God is reminding Jeremiah in the same way that I think God is reminding us, listen, I'm in charge. I'm causing this nation of Babylon to rise up and to take Judah into captivity. By my hand, this takes place. And I'm in charge of your life. And you need to trust me in that. I think that's a good reminder for us as well. Remember, again, I'll just say this again. Jeremiah had slipped into this self-pity, this pity party, because he was obedient to God. He was living a life of obedience. It's not because he was caught out with the buddies one night and had a bad night of sinning. He was living a life of obedience. As a matter of fact, it says he oftentimes went home by himself. That's where he was. I don't think that we today are too far off from Jeremiah. We live in a culture today that is trying to get their message across to the world. That says you should get in line with how we believe in what we're doing. And the gospel message has no place in that. So when we as Christ followers take a stand. When we as Christ followers believe the truth about who God is. Believe the truth about who Jesus is. Believe the truth about what Jesus has done for sinners. It's met with hostility from the world. We're not very popular people when we take a stand for God's word. And when that happens to us, I think oftentimes it can lead to a disillusionment. We get confused about what God's doing. I think sometimes in America we kind of feel like God owes us something. We're obligated to have some type of special treatment, um, some level of comfort. Because we've kind of have some great religious freedoms and we take, a, we take great um, pride in those religious freedoms. But we have to understand God doesn't say that life's going to be comfortable. He doesn't always promise that everyone's going to like you. God promises us the exact type of life that we find in John chapter 15 When Jesus tells his disciples, if the world hates you or hates me, they're going to hate you. Uh, Chris was actually teaching this morning in Sunday school and it made me think of another verse. Uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 16. God is going to show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. God called Paul. Paul was ruthless He had a message that was anti the gospel, anti Jesus, and yet God gets his attention. God shows Paul exactly who's in control. And then what does God call Paul to? I call you to suffer for my name's sake. And he would suffer many times for the sake of the gospel. Now look at the early in chapter 15, Jeremiah 15 verse 1. Because in Jeremiah's day, the clock was ticking, okay? Uh, The nation was still in Jerusalem. The nation was still in the nation of Judah. But their time was on a timetable. Their time was very short. And we're going to see that God is getting ready to kick them out. And there were a couple of times in Scripture, throughout Scripture, if you look back in the Old Testament, where God sent someone, a chosen person, to kind of stand in the gap. Uh, We think about Moses in Exodus 32. 
where God is actually going to go to Moses. He says, leave me alone so that my wrath can burn hot against my people. And God was going to wipe out the entire nation and start over with Moses. That's what his plan was. And Moses says, hit the brakes, God. Please don't do this. All the other nations will laugh. Please relent from what you want to do. And God does. God hears the prayer of Moses. God lets him stand in the middle between him and his people. And he relents from what he was going to do. This also happened with Samuel. Samuel, the people, God had sent the Philistines to wipe out uh, the nation. And Samuel is going to step in on their behalf. He's going to plead to God on their behalf and say, don't do this. And God will relent from what he had planned to do. Both of these men, these two men, changed God's mind. They changed God's mind on what he was going to do. But here in verse 1, God tells Jeremiah this. Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn towards this people. Send them out of my sight. Let them go. God tells Jeremiah, even if Samuel and Moses showed up to plead on their behalf, the answer would still be no. I would not relent from what is to come. You know, that shows us the limitation of the Old Testament prophets. It shows us the limitations that, you know, they could pray for God's people to be saved, but they could not uh, atone for the sins of the people. They could beg for God's mercy and for God to relent from what he was going to do, but they could not demand it. It was something that only God could do. And God is declaring here in chapter 15, I'm tired of relenting. I'm tired of changing my mind. My wrath is coming. I'm about to pour it out on his people. And like Jeremiah, who was a sinner, and like the nation of Judah and Israel, who were filled with lots of sinners, um, we need someone to stand in the gap for us. Someone who could both stand in the gap to plead to God on our behalf, but also someone who could pay the price for our sins. Someone who could atone for our sins. Luckily, the good news is that Jesus does both for us. Jesus, God's son, he does it for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We need to realize, like the people here needed to realize, but there was a God, and there was a God who was holy, holy, holy. And they were a people who were sinful, and their sin had separated them from a holy God. And because of that holiness, and because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath, we deserve God's judgment to be poured out upon us. Luckily, because God is full of grace and mercy, he sent his son to stand in our place, to take on our sin, and to pay the penalty. He lived the life that we could not, sinless. He died the death that we deserved. The wrath of God was placed on him. He drank the cup of wrath that was, meant, that was poured out for us. And because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, he makes atonement for our sins uh, to the Father. Let me just say, if you have never given your heart to Jesus, 
After the service, I'll be down here. I would love to speak to you about that. I would love to introduce you to Jesus and what he offers to you, the salvation for your sins that he offers to you. We need someone to take our sin. In the same way Jeremiah did, in the same way that these people did, we need someone to atone for our sins. Now, back to us. Back to those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Back to those who have already accepted Jesus and our sins have been paid for. What about us? Maybe you're living a life right now that's pretty good obedience. I'm doing pretty, I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning when the pastor's on vacation. That's pretty good, right? Um, but we already know Jesus, but maybe you feel like the world is against you. Maybe you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Maybe you have looked at the situation and you have taken your eyes off of God and you look at your own situation and maybe you're slipping into this having a pity party for yourself. We have to realize whether things are good, whether things are bad, God never promises us that life will be easy. As a matter of fact, he pretty much tells us that life is going to be hard. Landon's teachers told us last week, life is hard and then you die. That's kind of the point. We go through difficulties in this life. We all face them. You know, uh, we face good times. I did a wedding yesterday. It was a great time. On Friday, I did a funeral. We all face difficulties in this life. We all face those times. Life is hard and then you die. Here's your last two blanks. Number one, being disillusioned may be unavoidable. Sometimes I think we get caught up in our circumstances. We look at our situation and we get confused about what God may be doing in our lives. We may be somewhere on this uh, stair step of we lose focus of who God is. We lose focus uh, and that leads us to being bitter towards God. Maybe we're angry about the situation that we're in, which can ultimately lead to us having a pity party. We're so focused on ourselves that we take our eyes off God. And when that happens, we need to realize as Christ followers that we've landed in a place of sin. And just like God called Jeremiah to, we must realize that it's sin and we must in return repent and continue to do what God has asked us to do. As we're about to sing here in a moment, God is sovereign over us. Okay, He is faithful forever. We have to remember that as Christ followers that God always has our best intentions in mind. And ultimately it's for His good and for His glory. Let's pray this morning.